Alright troops and welcome to another episode of the Flip the Mindset podcast, a platform of hope for people struggling with the pressures of modern day society, hope that can bring them back from the darkest of places. Today's episode is sponsored by Curtin Hodge Projects and The Vital Group. Curtin Hodge Projects are a trusted and reliable business who have gained a strong reputation throughout Scotland for their services. With a keen eye for design and a laser focus on detail, they have many customers returning time and again for future projects. If you would like to chat through your own project, Matthew and Luke would love to hear from you. Contact us via our website www.kerrandhodge.projects .co.uk. I'll repeat www.kerrandhodgeprojects.co.uk. They offer home renovations and extensions. Project managed from start to finish. Have a look on the website. Up next is the Vital Group LTD. The Vital Group LTD are a family run business. We are very reliable with a great friendly and high qualified team. There is only a number of us in Scotland with our qualifications. We specialise in all domestic, industrial and commercial plumbing and heating. We have built a great relationship with our customers and clients over the years and love what we do. Peter and Alex would love to hear from you if you are looking for any plumbing and heating work. Call us on 0131. 202 9114 or email us on the vital at gmail.com. I'll repeat the vital at gmail.com. A huge thank you to our sponsors. I cannot tell you how much it means for the running the running course of this podcast and for getting future clients on to give hope to others. Okay, on to today's guest, and it's none other than Ryan Anderson, otherwise known as Pesci. Pesci is now raising awareness about being adopted for all adoptees around the world. Pesci did not find out he was adopted until he turned 18 and that can be, well that absolutely would be a life-changing moment. So here's Pesci and I having a great conversation about adoption, life, pressures of modern society and mental health. Thank you. Guys, what is happening? And welcome to another episode of the Flip the Mindset podcast. This is episode 26, and we're here today with a very special guest, Mr. Ryan Anderson from Leaf Supports Hibs. Not too sure about that right enough, but um, we've had a fair share of Edinburgh Donian guests on now, as I like to call them. Um, very pleased to have him on. This guy's going to go and do big things, motivational speaking. He has got an absolutely tremendous, tragic, and inspiring positive story um how's things going what's happening all good all good i was nervous buzzing mixed into one oh, i like it i've actually just came back from football when um, we get put out the cup 2-1 mm. and i came on 20 minutes ago i was absolutely yeah. nonsense should have been oh, a super sub i was terrible should have <laughs> been a super sub should have scored um so getting into it right as i said before we're going to start with this story of when you went to Cancun, <laughs> right? So you went on holiday, sunset, first ever holiday, sex, sand, <laughs> and you, you get robbed. Talk yes. to me. First night, first ever holiday, buzzing, five star hotel. Um, had a great night out. Then we end up uh, coming home from the nightclub, 
see uh, a couple of girls waving at us. I was like, oh, look at that. So I started in between us, <laughs> came over, started chatting to them. I don't even think they could speak English. One of them started cuddling me, uh, kissing me on the cheek. And uh, next thing I, knew, <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> night, this is the one. Um, then I'd noticed uh, some of my money was gone. So I thought, I must have dropped that on the road. So I'm uh, looking along this road, uh, looking for my money. And uh, I just hear some of my mates shouting. And uh, <laughs> they went, that was a guy. So like, what? <laughs> he, heard, he heard the deep voice and the guys just run off. I went, I've not got my money. And uh, two of my mates, they were just pointing and laughing at me. And uh, I had my head in, sh- in shame. It's like in between us. No way. What, so what? <laughs> the person who robbed you was a guy? Yes. With a wig? And then uh, the next again day, we went to another night out and then people, uh, the, the uh, hotel reps were like, be careful people, guys uh, who are dressed as women sometimes uh, are men. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, I just kept my head doing all my mates were laughing at me, and uh, that is absolutely incredible. Uh, it's and what she gave you kissing the cheek, not? Ah, he did. He did. Yeah, Aye, so he did. I'll never forget that. But uh, that was a Good day, first day experience. One. You started. Um, you started working over there, didn't you? And I'd be working far. abroad. Yeah. So what, far, what yeah. made you want to work abroad after that first experience? I'd got that. No chance. Well, uh, yeah. So I went. Mexico, my first holiday, second one, I think I went to uh, Ibiza, mm-hmm. and that proper... Was that unbelievable? Unbelievable. Um, it was the year of the Peru too, uh-huh. and uh, I was just, I was blown away, came home, quit my job, um, and then they offered me more money, so I stayed, and uh, next again year, went to, on holiday at Ibiza, came home again, quit my job, they offered me more money, and I just says, no, next again year, I'm going to Ibiza, and... Uh, after that, stayed out there for five years. Uh, every year, I was like, that's my last year, my last wow. year. What and was I've, your job before you went over? Uh, I was working as a salesman right. in a builder's yard. And then, yard. obviously, you've... In a builder's kind of... builder's yard, right. And then, uh, you've, then, then you're working in Ibiza. What are you doing in Ibiza? What's going on? I was just uh, t- doing ticket selling. Uh, I was trying loads of things, PRing. Uh, aye, it was good fun. You're just getting all the accents, meeting new people. Five years? Aye, what, do you mean five summers? Or five summers, yes, or five or summers. So summers are May to October. Or if you're really keen, you can go April to uh, November. So May to October, uh-huh. and then you came back in October, and then you would... I would either get a job, uh, and then see what was happening back. back so you're just Scot- kind of picking up another job yeah, again? So, what, and so from the age of 24, I had two jobs. Work, worked in an office, worked as a salesman in a builder's yard. And then from the age of 24 till now... Mm-hmm. I've had about 30 jobs, like terrible jobs to the best jobs. Just um, sometimes not well paid, but it's still good fun driving cars. Yeah. What, uh, and in between that, you've been partying on Ibiza? Aye, Was that the kind of end goal every year? Save up money, go to Ibiza, go mental? Yeah, that was it, aye. When you went to work in Ibiza, what, what is that kind of level? A couple of my friends have done it as well. Um, but talk us through what that... Life is like there'll be people watching this and now thinking, I want to go and work abroad, I want to go and see it. But is it all is it all good? Is it all ups or is, is there some really hard moments of oh, being abroad just Lots of hard moments all the time. It's brilliant, you're waking up, seeing new faces, uh, but then you're taking you're drinking, partying, uh, drugs. and that does uh, take its toll. Mm-hmm. And uh sometimes you sometimes you're falling out with people, mm-hmm. uh, there's always drama going on. And then it's a, it's a riot, and you're like, I just want my own bed, peace. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and yeah, people can backstab you. Uh, you don't know who to trust. But on the flip side, you do make great friendships. Have the time of your life, some of the nights out. Yeah. Um, you go out every night, but then that's no sensible because <laughs> you just you turn into a mess. That's when it starts to get its toll mentally. But um, when you're younger, you can handle it. I imagine. I, I remember people. I went out and I went out to Malia twice, right? So the second the second time I went out was two years later or a year later and the, the same girl was there working and I was mm-hmm. kind of, you know, kissing and all that stuff mm-hmm. the first time. And then I went back out the second time and she's obviously out there again during the summer. But she just looked almost, not skeletal, but she looked like mm-hmm. just like, like um, just very haggard, like she was just mm-hmm. worn out, like she was just tired of the drugs and the drink and the, mm-hmm. the just constant hangovers and then out PR and again all night. Her mental health just, she just wasn't, she, you know, she was an advert for pu- mm-hmm. poor, poor mental health. So I've always thought it could be seriously hard as well. You would mm-hmm. need to have real thick skin to be over there yourself. and um, But you know better than us. Mm-hmm. Well, I was obviously many a times getting carried home, Wow. Uh, at, towards the end I was going unconscious a couple of times it was normal with my friends always in the medical tent and uh, yeah I was uh, couldn't remember nights out I was uh, always I'm accident prone I used to mm-hmm. drive a little uh, moped aye. and uh, I crashed that every year at least brilliant, <laughs> but, brilliant. Uh, aye. you just had to run an island then uh, there was, a, was always drama following me I'm like who did I, you meet who was the most interesting person you met Oh, I've met loads of people. I liked MK the DJ, uh, Joey Essex. Mm-hmm. I seen a glimpse of Conor McGregor and um, who else was it? Uh, Gary Lineker. He was there. Brilliant. Big Wayne in the uh, Ocean Beach. Well, Wayne's never out of there, man. <laughs> I tried PR there. him in his own pub. Great, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, Want some tickets, mate? I was like, coming to Lineker's with me. I own the place. <laughs> <laughs> Class, man. I don't know how he does it, man. They, they just. Seems like that's possible. I know, I definitely, but there's always something you think of when you're growing up. Is could, mm-hmm. I, could I run a successful club or cafe or something over in Spain, live the dream, turn up in sandals every day, shorts out, you know what I mean? Shorts half at night. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just brilliant. So, let's get into your life. You've got, a, you've got an amazing story. I want you to tell me. Um, what life was like for you growing up? Growing up, um, as I said, I grew up in the Inch. Um, it's quite a tight-knit community. A um, little bit of trouble. Um, you had to be a bit thick-skinned. Because uh, my parents, my mum's uh, English, dad's Moroccan, uh, they're different. So I was uh, there's a bit of racism there. And, yeah, that just kind of toughened me up. Um and the words didn't hurt anymore. But, but talk me through the racism then. Let's go into depth with that. Mm-hmm. When did it start? Um, young age, really. Um, when we got worse. Just, you know, young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, I don't know, they've just got, yeah, yeah, being a bit racist. What was the, what, what names were they using, all that kind of stuff? It's usually Paki and, um, yeah, just black, black cunt, just stuff like that. Yeah, I used to get it, obviously, mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, black bastard and mm-hmm. brownie and all that stuff. Um, I actually had a I had a talk with with um a guy. Well, it was more of a debate, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we're talking about he was trying to say that Paki 
was um, a justifiable Scottish term. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I've, I've, I've sat with him for 20 minutes talking about this. I can't believe I've <laughs> had 20 minutes talking to someone about him trying to justify that saying Paggy was, was absolutely fine in Scotland. I can't they, believe it because he's got, he's got an uncle, um, an uncle. Oh, he's got an uncle who's Pakistani, and they always say teach her, so he thinks it's good. No, he didn't listen. He probably mm-hmm. won't. And that's it's probably. I know it's came down from his dad as well and mm-hmm. stemmed down the way. You know, it's a systemic thing. Um, but it's just mad that people don't even mm-hmm. the ignorance to it mm-hmm. and the and, and the, un, the the you know we're so uneducated. There was an age and, where I felt like. Um, yeah, I'm okay with that now. Uh, when people were saying it, it didn't affect me. Because yeah. when someone did say it accidentally, they'd say, sorry, mm-hmm. there'd be no problem, no offence. And in a way, you kind of use use it against you. So you you, say, you call yourself it. Yeah. So, um, you fit in. Yeah, so you don't, so it doesn't, you, they've got nothing to use against you. Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Because you can't describe to someone, the, the, and this is similar, right? See, when someone called me the N-word for the first time, mm-hmm. It's the same feeling as you get when you get told someone you know has passed away. Mm-hmm. It's weird to explain mm-hmm. that, you know. People mm-hmm. don't understand that. That f- thing when someone had called me the N-word, I got that huge feeling in my stomach and it ran right up to my throat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That really horrible feeling of not being accepted. Yeah. And, um, it's like you never want to feel like that again no. once you've had it. And to get used to that is just mind-blowing, mm-hmm. you know. I was the same, I got used to it. Um, and it, it still hurts, but it doesn't give you the huge blow to the gut. Mm-hmm. You end up, you end up, you end up kind of almost identifying as it. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. identify as right. Okay, it's okay to call me that. You know, um, it's a mad subject. So let's be op- as open about it as we can. Did it? Did it start in school? What would you? What was your mm. first recall of racism? And mm, I think it was just. I think it was in the streets. Really, it was in the streets. I just uh, could easily just been going to the shops, you know, in walking past, and uh, comments could be made, and uh, yeah, we didn't have a we weren't the richest family, so if you didn't have there was another part where if you didn't have a good clothes or anything, Mm -hmm. then you're an easy target. You're you're constantly trying to fit in, and then looking back now, none of that stuff really matters, does it? No, no, it definitely doesn't. What was the youngest age you you experienced racism? Mm, from memory, maybe about seven, seven or eight. So Mad. young kids. Might even think you're almost conditioned to mm-hmm. have to accept it because you're here. Mm-hmm. You're in our country. I'm not sure if it if it was worse back then or if it's a bit better now. There's all there's problems. The same, it's all it? there, isn't it? Yeah, but, it's just um, the same. Just need to try and educate people and uh, yeah, just. Hopefully people don't have that much hate in their heart to say it. Yeah, it does come from that place. I, I, I really don't think you'll you'll meet a, a real positive and happy person who will be racist to another human. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just missing something. Getting them to understand that is probably half half the battle. Yeah, so tell us more about growing up. Growing up, aye. So, um, yeah, I was, went to school. Uh, I was pretty good at school, quiet. And uh, just... Uh, yeah, I just love playing football. Uh, it's always playing football, walking around the streets. Uh, as you're getting, you're getting older, sometimes getting a, 
about trouble, the wee petty crimes, stealing bikes, uh, getting chased by the police, and mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. Aye. Was that just trying to fit in, or was that just the, the, just, the way just the culture when we were growing up? There was loads of aye. there was loads of we were all just sitting in the street corners and oh, uh, staying out till late. Then they start drinking till about sixteen. So I was a late latecomer, usually the younger these days. But mm-hmm. um, I was so I started becoming more and more a rebel as I got older. When usually sometimes you can be like a problem child and then either turn worse or get better. Yeah. So I. There's a big there's a big debate in Scotland now that racism is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? What's your views on it? What do you think? What's your views first of all, and what do you think can be done? How can we go forward? Um, people need to speak more, speak to each other, um, try and get people to yeah, get together. Um, don't know, by something to do with the community rather than um, people sticking to their own groups. We need to try and see the people going away from each other, uh, get them together. You know, we do see that, and I don't think it's talked about enough. Like, we do see people sticking to their own groups, like um, a lot of Pakistani boys I know, they'll mm-hmm. all hang about with each other. Mm-hmm. And, it, and there might only be maybe only be one white boy or one white Scottish mm-hmm. boy there. Um, you'll have um, a lot of African boys who'll stick together as mm-hmm. well, or African men and women who'll stick together, and you don't see them talking to anyone else outside of that circle. Do you think that's a kind of safe? And, and Chinese people, a lot mm-hmm. of Chinese will stick together and won't come out the circle. Do you think that's a safety thing from them? Do you think that's? Mm-hmm. I've obviously I mean you've been brought up here, so it's been different. My, my six best friends were white mm-hmm. so it was kind of different for me you know like um but for them jink they they, they kind of think right of a hang about with my own kind such to mm-hmm. say that they feel more safer and they feel yeah. like well I, I can relate to that because when i go traveling or when i was in ibiza if i heard a scottish accent boom you're my mate yeah and uh, i'm drawn to you mm-hmm. so um yeah maybe subconsciously people are just being like he's the same as me i'm mm-hmm. you sticking together yeah it makes sense because and the biggest um, place you see it is like uni mm-hmm. or college you're mm-hmm. going there's just big groups of chinese people and big groups of um pakistani or muslims mm-hmm. and then you've got the kind of corrugation of just white people and 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 if, and the odd mix mm-hmm. i just know i just do you think so it starts at the do you think we need to do it in schools and unis and communities does it really mm-hmm. start at home, does this battle start at home? I think so. At home, communities, um, schools, everyone's mingling as it is. Um, but if they're basically educated at home, how to battle that, then either we uh, probably more improvements in people skills. How do people get closer together? Mhm, mhm. I, I, I think I was maybe sheltered for a lot of it from my mum, like. Mm-hmm. Um, she never made me feel like I was different, mm-hmm. ever. Yeah, and so. I, I only had maybe about five people in my school that were um, of colour. And yeah. it's weird, just the way she brought me up, I did not feel different until mm-hmm. I received the racism. Yeah, my brother and sister, they're white, mm-hmm. and uh, but so was my mum. My dad was black. That's like me, uh, yep. Tanned, and uh, most of my mates were white. And I remember feeling as a young kid, I wish I was white. Mm-hmm. And even thinking about putting bleach and that on when you end. It was, uh, and now when you're older, 
Everyone wants a tan. Yeah, so everyone. Uh, Tans uh, to live for now. And that was the same, yeah, there, there is times where the race some took over and you really start doubting yourself and and you do just want to fit in. You don't want to be the one that's waiting for that comment, mm. you know. As I, I, I say, you know, when I go to Ibrox to watch my famous Rangers, I literally feel like sometimes I'm just sitting there waiting for racist comments mm-hmm. at the players and it makes me so anxious in my stomach. Mm. And then I hear it every time and I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, hopefully one game with no mm-hmm. racist comments towards any of the players. And that's not right, you know, because mm-hmm. there's there's people of colour in them games, there's kids, there's, you know what I mean? It's just not right. It's not a, it's not a right environment to be brought up in. Um and as I said, I don't think maybe because obviously I've been in a a, a, a white dominant society. I've n- I've never heard like I would ju- I just wouldn't even think to come out and call someone a white bastard or anything mm, like that. That never just, crosses your mind, does it? I, j- I just doesn't even think about it. I just don't even. Why would I say that? Mm-hmm. It's just it, it's weird. It's a weird one how it's kind of systemic. To move on from the racism, what would you say to any young girl or guy growing up um, in Scotland and now? Who is you know, who is either expressing racism, um, or um, being on the other end of it? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I need to talk to someone. Um, no, for me, I bottled it up, and that's no no a good move. Um, I need to talk to someone. It's hard to open up, but um, I need to talk to someone they feel comfortable. Yeah. What about someone who's who's giving it out? Because they don't know, then they might not be educated. Well, mm-hmm. you know, we're not educated at twelve to know. I know. Um, what do you say to someone who's uh, just don't do it? Um, just think, uh, what are they achieving from making someone feel that low? Because um, sooner or later, karma will catch up with them, and uh, they mm. won't. They won't uh, feel. It's no good making other feel pe- people feel small, is it? Yeah. Yeah, we could come from that angle because it makes you think as well. If you're sitting talking to a twelve year old and even saying them words to them, they might not even be able to fathom what you're what you're saying because they won't know how damaging it is. So mm-hmm. maybe that's we do need to. It's got to start with the mums and dads. It's got mm-hmm. to maybe be a course that parents go on to just that, you know, every parent goes on in school to kind of learn a bit about, right, you know, like racism and, and and what impact it can really have on people and on families because, as I say, if you were to say that to a 12-year-old, they're going to go, what? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? I only, I only called them this. Mm, I know. <laughs> you know need educated, mean? need to have the conversation right, with them. of course. Um, go into detail about it and uh, just hopefully get through it to them. Absolutely. Let's talk about, so, one thing that has um, been big in your life and had a big impact in your life is your parents divorcing. Mm-hmm. Talk about that time, um, mm-hmm. how it came across, the lead up to it, and um, how, you, how you coped with that. Yeah, so, uh, growing up, it was mainly my mum uh, there. There was not much of a connection with my, adopted, my dad. He was uh, yeah, pretty distant, didn't know really what he was doing. And, uh, yeah, growing up where you don't see much love, that uh, you kind of just, you when you, you're just drawn to one person and um, you kind of knew the breakup was coming. And uh, when it did happen, I decided with my mum um, and it's the best decision she made. And, 
yeah, it's just when you see stuff like that, it makes you know what you don't want in life. Mm-hmm. You kind of want the, you know how someone should be treated and how someone should not be treated. Um, many people grow up in broken households, so um, a good relationship in front of kids will then uh, bring out the best in their kid. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, tell me a bit about some of the things you've seen and what. So we talk about you, you, as a child, you try and adapt to your environment. As mm-hmm. any human, you try and adapt to your environment. How tough is it adapting to something that you know is not right? Mm-hmm. You know, make it your mum and dad are having severe problems or there's mm-hmm. domestic abuse there or there's um, some kind of abuse there. How is how do you how do you adapt into that? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, for me, um, I used to sometimes hear arguing um, and uh, my dad was a bit careless. He drove a crap car, wore crap clothes. It was an embarrassment which made uh, me and then the house, the family, a target. And, um, yeah, it was just created a constant panic in me. I was always on edge and um, it wasn't nice growing up. You got one thing after another, uh, being embarrassed over. And as a kid, that's uh, your worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. What kind of things was he doing? Like, so was he being careless wise? What was he? Was he meaning it? Um, I think that was that was his culture, um, and also I look at you know people, the dads, some of my friends who are dads. They've got good relationships with their kids, and um, I never had that with my dad, and he just wasn't there emotionally. Um, he was a religious man. He cared about his religion, that came first, and all his uh, Moroccan family, they were um, number one and we were last, so you kind of just felt unwanted, mm-hmm. but uh, thanks to my mum, she uh, she made up for the, that missing part. Were you so close to your mum? Ah, yeah. yeah. Were, were you, so were your brother and sister adopted too? No, just me. Right. Um, um, your brother and sister were they not to the Moroccan dad? Yes. Or they were his? Yeah, he's real yeah. kids, mm-hmm. biological kids. Mm-hmm. And then you were adopted, and he kind of sh- did he have the same relationship with them as he did you? No, he wasn't a good dad to them either. Right. Okay. So, um, so we've all we've all felt that, and uh, so I thought maybe kind of it was my mum's idea to adopt. So um, she she was one pushing it. Um, my dad eventually agreed, um, and I think maybe adopting me kind of um, cleared all his sins, you know, trying to make things up, uh, yeah. clear his conscience. And um, so it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but as a father should be, you need know, kind of be emotionally there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was yeah, it's only me that's adopted out the family. Has the feelings of being adopted, has it caused any abandonment issues? Yeah, 100%. So I'm a late discovery adoptee, LDA. Mm -hmm. So that means I found out at the age of 18. Um, So my mum didn't tell me because she loved me. And um, she just, it's a dreaded task. 
and uh, yeah, when telling telling a child late on in their life that can be uh, very damaging. That's what I've read in some of the articles and books. Definitely, I would think so. I went off the rails. <laughs> I, your I whole existence is kind of maybe, or your whole identity mm-hmm. is kind of, it, it, it's spiral out of control, but it's not, you mm-hmm. know, because you're just the same great person, but mm-hmm. in the head, in you know, mind. it can cause a, a real, um, talk to us at the day you get told. Yeah, so I was in, it was t- 2018, I'd done New Year in Scotland, uh, parents were divorced, <coughs> 2008 sorry and um i was my brother attended to me that you need to speak to mum about something and you know you had that gut feeling and you probably see all growing up now thinking back i knew there was something odd about me mm-hmm. but it just didn't know what you can get that sense so on the 18 uh, um when i got back to england because i was living in england at the time uh, my mum told me she wrote me a letter and i just remember bursting into tears running out the house uh Sitting on a sitting on a wall, crying. Eventually came home. Um, I'm quite stubborn as well, so I don't speak. I just sat in my room, mm-hmm. um, went on the internet, booked a flight to back to Scotland, um, and yeah, I was just silent treatment. And it's that one where you just never talk about that again. No. And I was ashamed, and uh, yeah, I was just I was 18 at the time. I wasn't ready to deal with it. So I was just like, I was I was upset because I'd moved from Scotland. I went to England for a bit because of the, the breakup. And uh, I was just like, get me back to my hometown. So you moved to England because of the divorce yeah. of your parents. Mm-hmm. So they divorced, it came to an end. Is that because they just weren't getting on? Yeah, so, I've, so they, they weren't getting on before. Uh, we tried to live down England and I was unhappy. Uh, so I've got family down England and then um, came back up, tried again and... Um, and I got found some stability, but uh, my mum wasn't happy. She was uh, she was not unha- not happy in that relationship. Mm. It was just she was just existing really. What's the first few thoughts that go through your mind when someone tells you you're adopted? Yeah, it was just when I was crashing down. You've got you feel alone, um, and you just I still feel like that sometimes. Um, and yeah, you're just it's upsetting. Um, you just feel it. everyone's like black and white now. You've just who do you trust? Um, yeah, so it was, uh, I wasn't ready. I was eighteen when I found out, just before my eighteenth, and um, didn't tell. Came up with my story uh, just this year. I'm thirty one now, so that was uh, horrible. Bottling that up. When when would you have? Would there have been? A perfect time for your mum to tell you? Uh, what you're supposed to do is tell kids from a young age. Okay, um, right. Straight away. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of understand. But each person is different. Some people, I know people, because uh, I've now in a lot of groups and I've heard a lot of stories, I know people who've, uh, who, couldn't, who couldn't handle being adopted. And they turned to drinking drugs and... Uh, yeah, they ended up committing suicide. Um, mm. There is a fact that adoptees are four times more likely to commit suicide. Wow. So um, there's not much support for adult adoptees. So if you think about it, when you get adopted, um, I didn't have any support when I was younger. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but my mum, they didn't know about it, didn't know it existed. You can imagine back then, there's not much resources. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so w- when you're an adult, the, most of the resources stop, but you're still dealing with all the thoughts mm-hmm. and everything's just building up. And then one day you're like, as you're getting older and if you've not got life figured out, you're like, where, where am I going? And um, there's no support out there or her- very little luckily i found some groups um which which helped me and you just kind of find some survival uh methods you know just like exercising obviously and um swimming in the sea just doing anything to reading self-help books podcasts um is there a lot of self-doubt in that process that process of trying to come to terms with the fact that that well, you would probably be beating up, beating yourself up in your head. Your life's a lie. My life's a lie. All this mm-hmm. stuff. Because actually, I think every kid grows up and has a thought about, "Am I adopted?" Mm-hmm. You know, and what would we do if we didn't? I certainly did. Mm-hmm. Just being the the, yeah. you know, you always think, you know, my, I didn't have a dad. It was just me, and my mum, my brother and sister were white as well. My mum's white. All my family's white back here. Um, and you always have that thought: What if I'm adopted? And the, the, the process just. I don't know if it I ever thought be. that when I was younger. Maybe it was like, maybe I think I always knew, um, because my dad's the same skin colour as me, and I, I didn't dwell on the fact because I thought I can't be. Maybe my mum's not my mum, but my, he's my dad, and it turns out it wasn't. But um, well, in my case, I'm called a foundling, so I, I was an orphan. Um, so when my mum picked me up from the, picked me, so the, the story was... Uh, they were going to adopt a baby once she's seen on the orphans when they were in Morocco. And mm. um, my dad was just like, we're getting a boy because if we get a girl, a girl will go out and have a family. And um, yeah, she'll start her own family when she finds out. So we'll get a boy. First baby we pick, ever taken. So my mum went in, Away. picked a baby up. It was a girl. Next baby was a boy, me. So when I found out that story, I'm like, no pressure, I need to... I was chosen. I need to do something special in my life, mm-hmm. and sometimes that gives me motivation. When you're feeling low, you're like of feeling course. guilty, and you're like, "Why did they pick me? Should have picked someone else." That's mm-hmm. that's my thought process. And then and then you start to think about what about all the other babies, and I've set, heard facts like there's thirty babies a day in Morocco being put up for adoption back then, wow. and there's other countries that are worse. China, um, yeah. What else? Uh, India. Why was that? Was it parents not wanting, or was it the laws? So in Morocco, uh, the culture there: if you have a baby to someone you're not married to, you're you're looked down upon. The police mm-hmm. can get involved, interrogate mm-hmm. you. Um, everyone's in poverty, so maybe the mother would be like, "Give you up," because um, I've got no money to care for you. Yeah, you see lots of Moroccan orphans just running the streets. So that when it played on my mind, I could have been a little off and running, running the streets. How long would I have survived? And um, yeah, it was. It's it's difficult for adoptees when because I'm a transracial adoptee as well, so mm-hmm. that's different country. Mm-hmm. So I'm taken out from my roots and um, popped into the inch in Edinburgh. Totally different culture. <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so, so you do, you you start you do think about that mm-hmm. like. Um, last time I visited Morocco I was about 10 years old um, and just this year you know I started to think like I need to go back 
when you visited Morocco at ten, did you have any kind of feelings like? I remember this playing football. Like home. I remember playing football and uh, we're all just kicking the ball in the street, kicking it in people's houses. There was no doors, and you're just running mm. around. I remember these yogurt drinks used to get, and all the food and eat with their hands. Um, was there a feeling of home? Was there any kind of nice and sunny? That was nice, mm. uh, but. You're going back to when I was 10, so 20 years ago, and uh, your memory's a bit, bit so easy. 13 years ago, you're 18 to now. Yeah. All right. Um, what's been the the the, pro, the process of that, you know, that self-development and that mm -hmm. um, self-discovery, I suppose, again, mm -hmm. or re-self-discovery again? I well, 18, I wasn't thinking about self-discovery. I was just, I got into the uh, drinking drugs environment, mm -hmm. um, got in the pub, Getting your ID, going up to and uh, going to all the clubs in Edinburgh, uh, any of any event, event, meeting people, uh, and I just anyone I had a drink with, anyone um, I went on a night out with, I classed them as a mate. And mm. back then, everyone's wanted to go on nights out. Got loads of different friends. So I was just like, you know, you're in the in the club, shaking everyone's hand, dancing away. Uh, Drinking like VKs, <laughs> that was at the back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> going out with twenty quid. That's um, the number one rule. If you think you have a friend and you only see them in nights out, they know your friend. That's that's you what know. my life was was um, for a long time, and over the years I did find meet a lot of good people. Uh, look, there was good friends, but on the flip side, I've had had a lot of uh, backstabbing um, people doing the dirty. Um, yeah, just betrayal. It's uh, not nice. How bad did you get into the drugs? Uh, I was at one point, I think for three months, I was taking it every day. What were you taking? Cocaine. And, During uh, the day? Mm, not really, just in the evenings. Mm -hmm. Sober. Um, or just dry sniffing? Yeah, that was what we used to do. And it was uh, it probably had a long-term effect doing that. So was, that was... Uh, Probably regret doing that, but um, you live and learn, eh? So just night times, what are you doing? Tuesday night mm -hmm. in the inch? Mm -hmm. where, are you, where are you sniffing the coke? Oh, no, that was it. So, yeah, so um, well, I had my own flat. Oh, so, okay, so um, party flat. I kind of got a flat near the inch uh, once I was 18 because mm -hmm. I grew up in the inch until I was like 16, 17, and mm -hmm. then uh, I got a flat near the inch and uh, just a wee studio flat. Brilliant. Just have parties all the time, uh, and uh, nave complaints, warnings. Mm -hmm. uh, but you were running away, I, I, I would think, eh? Uh -huh. And when you're 18, there's loads going on. So I wasn't uh, I wasn't thinking about that. And I was on my own. Um, mom, uh, I saw my mum was still in England at the time. And my uh, adopted dad, he was in Edinburgh as well, but didn't speak to him. So I was just a lone wolf, just me and my mates. And uh, because I was a, a likeable character... I would go around to everyone else's families and uh, hang out with them because I was polite, respectful. Uh, hopefully they didn't mind me having around. Some of them invited me to Christmas and that, so that was uh, that was good. But Brilliant. when you're younger, all you wanted to do is just party every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, as the years go by, people are just spending more and more time with the families. You notice your friends going off having kids, buying houses, yeah. uh, you know, the... Something's clicked where they want to, because it does get boring, mm -hmm. just partying every weekend, um, and yeah, it can was make you depressed. 
Of course, yeah. It's that flip side where some people party all the time to get the social aspect because, let's be honest, people go in their bubbles. Man meets a woman, mm-hmm. you know, in our culture in Scotland, and you'll not see that boy for weeks mm-hmm. unless he's fallen out with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So we've just let all your friends down, mate. Like, that's not how we do it. No wonder so many men are trying to commit suicide mm-hmm. or going out drinking. Because when they mm-hmm. go out drinking, they're going to find someone who they can chat shit to all night. Mm-hmm. When that person should have been you if you weren't staying with your girlfriend every single day. That doesn't mm-hmm. need to be. Even though if you have a girlfriend, a boy, two kids, doesn't matter. Still make time for your friends. Mm-hmm. A lot of people I know who do go out and are drinking all the time and, and drugs are normally running away for someone. Or they just want to see people I socialise them to people mm-hmm. whereas all their friends oh they're all cooped up married no, it's no excuse to not meet up mm-hmm. that's, that's just, the effort for me it's just ignorance yeah mm-hmm. for, you know and I've fallen out with so many friends over it I've been like no listen I don't want you in my life going forward if I can't even if they can drop you and mm-hmm. and you know if I'm not going to see you for six months because you've got a girlfriend mm-hmm. that's no friend of mine you know if mm-hmm. let's go our walks at night let's maybe just change what we do not go out to parties and mm-hmm. party with loads of people and let's maybe go bowl and let's just change up what we do go to a game together we don't need mm-hmm. to just live in a bubble of uh, of like a boy a girl kids or a boy boy kids or whatever mm-hmm. it is a partner two partners kids and and just live in a bubble and no see anyone else that's yes, just it's all about having the balance with having a social life yeah relationships work and this um, is i think where we fail in scotland you know every time i go to spain and see my cousin and i see them all out all the time and they'll go out and they'll meet maybe because of the sunny weather makes mm-hmm. helps it as well but there's nothing wrong with us going to each other's houses they'll always be out talking to each other mm-hmm. and different friendly. family and friendly and going out talking and us you know, you turn up to, I guarantee you turn up to your mate's house on a Tuesday night at 8 o'clock and you'll be like, oh, why are you at my door? Mm-hmm. Like, Go away. Like, why are you here? I'm sitting uh, and watching What TV. I noticed by working in Spain, everyone says hello to you walking past the street. Um, when, when you're back here, you say hello to someone, they'll be like, who yeah. are you talking to? It's weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, that weirdo's talking uh, to me at the shop. Start saying, start <laughs> yeah, up. Aye, and the interaction, people are happier. Obviously, I don't know if it's the weather as well, but... Um, we really need to work at it. Mm-hmm. Because weather, even if it is the weather, it's no excuse, is it? Mm-hmm. What? If, if it, let's go back to. So you've told your mum's told you that um, you're adopted. Mm-hmm. Huge big blast mm-hmm. went off. You know, a huge big. You know, mm-hmm. you've, you're lost. But she, your mum also must have been seriously affected by this too. Yeah. So she's the only one I would talk to. So I would have arguments where I'd be like, "You don't care about me. I'm adopted." Um, she'd be crying on the phone to me, um, wishing she could turn back time, um, trying to get me to understand. And I did in the end, but it did take time. Mm-hmm. So I was just like us, uh, just going in a mood and uh, angry. And I'm quite glad that kind of, there's something clicked in me in my twenties where I was just like, I don't want to be angry anymore or, you know, and childish and, uh, yeah, bits where they like hold grudges and stuff. I just wanted peace. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because maybe because that much um, people let, letting you down or negative things happening, mm-hmm. I kind of thought, you know what, this is a let's just clean slate, uh, clear the air with people. I don't like having arguments, and um, yeah, you just want to try and make peace. Yeah, it's hard holding a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. You must have been so confused. Mm-hmm. And I, to click and to understand, yeah, I've, I've probably the same. I mean, 
in the in the flip side, your mum didn't need to adopt you. You know, mm-hmm. you could have been an orphan mm-hmm. on the streets. You might not have survived. And she's came in, gave you a great life. Look at you today. You mm-hmm. know, obviously, maybe not the life that we all dream of. But we're not mm-hmm. all get perfect. You know, no one's got mm-hmm. perfect life. Um, but for you going and inspiring people now. Mm-hmm. Aye, so to I was, what you could be doing yeah. now if you were even still alive is pretty Aye. incredible. Well, it was lo- when lockdown started, I decided to tell my story. But before that, I would have committed suicide if anyone found out uh, about my stuff. I think because growing up, you had to have tough skin where everyone's sagging each other. I would, so at 18, I wasn't ready for someone to, any of my friends groups to know my story in case they used it against me mm-hmm. because uh, my mates were my... My rock, you know what I mean? They were just, uh, they were keeping me distracted and uh, they don't really want to be vulnerable at that age. Well, it no. takes a lot of guts. No. Especially in more rougher areas, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you do not want to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a weird one because back in the day when we grew up, there was a lot, there was a lot of madness, wasn't there? Like at school. Mm-hmm. Like, it must have felt the same for the person who had glasses in school and quite bad eyes, mm-hmm. getting called specky and all that all the time. Even though it was, that was a culture, that was the laugh, that was the thing, it mm-hmm. was the done thing. I remember a boy in my in my school, in, in, in my class, and he used to get called specky and specky mm-hmm. four eyes and all that. And he didn't deal with it well mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. honestly. He really didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, obviously sometimes when he would take his classes off or PE or anything, his eyes would look different, you know, mm-hmm. that way if they've got really Aye. bad eyes, if someone's got mm-hmm. really bad eyes. And he hated it and didn't cope with it. For me, mm-hmm. that would be near to the same feelings as being called, mm-hmm. you I know, mean, a black bastard or something mm-hmm. like that, which when I was called, mm-hmm. he must have been feeling that mm-hmm. big time. Now, obviously, we don't want to make people's skin too thin. Mm-hmm. like we're doing these days with some of the you can't say this you can't mm-hmm. say that you can't say this because some of it's getting beyond the joke let's be honest mm-hmm. but we have we have to probably have a clear understanding and a clear mm-hmm. education yeah, a balance the balance has got to be right mm-hmm. how do we get a balance when so many's opinions are different mm-hmm. and so many people are different and things mm-hmm. affect people in different ways where is the line mm-hmm. do you know it's it's mad to think about isn't it just have to try and make sure people are just kind to one another no intentionally you know when someone's mm-hmm. proper said something to, to hurt you what do you think that world would be like if everyone was just mm-hmm. totally kind to Peace. everyone do you <laughs> think it would be a gentle you do need the balance but can you even think about that everyone mm-hmm. was just oh yes pesci mm-hmm. um oh yeah oh yeah definitely man here's mm-hmm. here's my last bit of dough mm-hmm. and Oh, you want that job? You're getting that job, mate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know, just I know. like imagine if everyone was just totally kind mm-hmm. to each other. I don't know. But what. then think of the other side. Whams if everyone's all nasty to each other. That's yeah, cool. exactly. You don't. You don't want that life, do you? No, you definitely. Ideally, you want people around you who are all nice to you. I've mm-hmm. all got your back, and you can't have that bit of banter. I'm a wind up merchant, so that's why I need to be careful. How uh, how has that? I don't see anything wrong, and we all make mistakes, and. Uh, when you do mess up, you just uh, put it right. It's balance. Um, balance. I'm always like a scoring system in my head. I'm always like, if I do something bad, I need to do something good, mm-hmm. or two things good, to even even the keel. And uh, I, if everyone done that, there was a quote I read in one of the books. Is it's like if you say something bad about someone, it's like you started a fire. So you say do something good, 
it's like you're putting the water to put it out. I read that mm. in one of the, the Secret, I think it was. Um, they were one of the first books I read when I was... It's difficult though, because I'll say that my wee mate Div, and he'll go, so if I stab someone and phone the ambulance, I'm all right. Must <laughs> 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 be, be an equal, equal good and bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I stitch him up and then phone uh, the ambulance, is that all right? Yeah. Uh, oh, brilliant. So going back to the so the abandonment issues, right? Mm-hmm. Did, did, how, what part did they play, or did they play a part in you know in your adult life when you were mm-hmm. trying to build relationships and stuff mm-hmm. like that? So um, I think because of my adoption, um, I've carried that. I decided to keep that secret. So finding it late, you're ashamed. Um, I've wanted to keep that a secret, so I didn't uh, didn't tell anyone. So that means I didn't let anyone cl- close to me. And um, always, yeah, I, d- I didn't know what my plan was, but I wouldn't. Uh, I've never had a girlfriend before. Too scared to commit, and uh, also with friends. Uh, never had like, a girlfriend at all. Never, I. Nah. Wow. So it's uh, just been at partying and uh, one night stands, and uh, I always treat girls nice. Never, never. Trust you to get that <laughs> one in there. That one night stand, yeah, man. Um, but nah, I would always. Uh, Treat girls nice, uh, have a laugh, tr- even treat them like my girlfriend, but just know have the guts to um, make that next step. Mm-hmm. And uh, even with friends, like I was, uh, I didn't like to let go of any friendships, so it's still like the abandonment. But like, if it, it really killed me, but someone doesn't like me, and um, mm-hmm. when you're in a room, you want to make friends with everyone, show everyone equal attention, yeah, just because uh, get everyone involved. If you see someone who's not involved, make sure they're m- make you sure just they're always right. try to keep it together. People pleaser. And um, yeah, when when things went wrong, or someone's upset you, <coughs> you'd be angry for a bit. Sometimes you could be like they're dead to me, and then um, you could uh, slowly rebuild that relationship and you forgive them. And sometimes you're forgiving the wrong people. Mm-hmm. You're letting, them, and it's just when it's a pattern that comes mm-hmm. across. You're just leaving yourself vulnerable. And uh, of course. I was just with all that flying around. I've heard you speak before as an adoptee that that you you have mass feelings of um, worthlessness mm-hmm. and that you're not good enough. Yeah. How do you deal with that? How do you mm. regulate that? Mm, it was hard. So, so um, <clears throat> I would always look at people and imagine that they were happier than me because I was adopted, and um, I would always, uh, yeah, just. Yeah, I'd just it would just be tough, just trying to um, look looking at someone's family and just wishing, even when they're arguing, just wishing that at least at least these are blood related, and um, that that was just like that was even like a perfect family to me watching an argument. Um, it's almost like we've made it our own taboo. All these mm-hmm. things from the past, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. we've made it our own taboo, its own taboo, adoption and stuff. What's wrong? What's what's wrong with thinking adoption is one of the best things you can ever do, mm-hmm. and it should be, and it could be maybe conditioned or viewed mm-hmm. to be a lot different when it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I grew up, the reason why I thought adoption was a bit hoodoo or like you would think like, oh, is he adopted or sort of mm-hmm. she adopted, is just because we've seen it in films, like mm-hmm. in American films and yeah. stuff like that. You would see, or oh, they're adopted, and then they would get upset, and then the mm-hmm. child would get lost and drinking mm-hmm. and run away, and they were actually really, really, really loved mm-hmm. and had a really, really good life. Then they would come to realise that that was normally the story in the films. Mm-hmm. Without them films, I wouldn't have thought anything different mm-hmm. or even known anything different yeah. about someone who was adopted in my mm-hmm. class. 
quite a lot of people. Way. Quite a lot of people. It's, it's not a big deal to them. Yeah. Um, and sometimes even t- when I think that, I go, yes. In fact, it's not really a big yeah. deal. But growing up, I made it a huge deal. Um, and um, yes, when people are adopted, it's usually became from a bad circumstance. You, mum and dad can't care for them, mm-hmm. or yeah, something something's happened. It's, so, it's mad how there's a there's a thingy of there's a mm-hmm. a, 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 a huge attachment of shame. Because mm-hmm. we, we, we all ha- we all ask questions. We, uh, for me, it didn't come to. Well, I've always thought it. Uh, there's a moment in time where something just clicks, and uh, you want to mm-hmm. you want to find answers. So each adoptee is different. Some people um, don't want to search; they're happy with it. they've got a good adopted mm-hmm. life. Some people, I'm the kind of guy that I want all the answers. I want to know everything. Yeah. Now I do. Before I was I was hiding away from it. Now I'm trying to be more open. And um, some people, you adopt if you're going to look for your birth family, the adopted family get angry. Mm-hmm. Um, so you either have to don't look or um, search in secret. And even when you find your birth family and you've got the re- reunion, do they, will they accept you? Yeah. Something most people, they get accepted and then with a week, a month, a couple of years, they'll be like, oh, I can't do this anymore. And usually um, some adoptees were, were kept as a secret. So mm-hmm. um, if you find your birth family and then they've, got, they've most yeah. likely started another family and you're like, they're like... Uh, yeah. They don't know that. They're really what they really want to drop this bombshell mm-hmm. and uh you're just this dirty secret and um yes yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, mad there's so much to it, isn't there? I don't feel I'm, I don't feel wanted. Um so so some adoptees were torn or like um not wanted by the birth family and then not uh, and if like say if you have an argument with your adopted mm-hmm. family, mm-hmm. you don't feel like you're wanted from them and then you're literally alone. And uh, yeah, that's when you get some. You need to have a good support group around you, friends or family, uh, or yeah, support groups. That is mad because like if you're a, you make it your six months old, mm-hmm. you're adopted mm-hmm. for whatever cause. It is just not that baby's fault. Mm-hmm. So because it's not that baby's fault. And they have no control over the situation. I still, I, I, it's hard to believe. You know, it's hard to face the fact that there's so much shame mm-hmm. attached to being adopted, mm-hmm. because we could view it as being one of the most special things in the world. Mm-hmm. One of those most special thing a family could do. One of the mm-hmm. most special things that that um, that we don't need that blood attachment because at the end of the day, I know, I know lots of families who are blood related who don't even talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Sons and daughters who don't even talk to their mum and dad, don't even mm-hmm. want anything to do with them. Exactly. Spend yeah, so more time if they're not blood relatives. Do you know what I mean? And it's just such a thing where I just think, are we more conditioned to think of this as a hoodoo? Mm-hmm. Should we normalise it more? Should we, mm-hmm. can we normalise it more? Mm-hmm. Can we make it a thing that's just not even frowned upon or not even... It should never be frowned upon anyway, but yeah. even if that family couldn't look after said baby or didn't want said baby for whatever reason, mm-hmm. we should still be, you know, manoeuvring that to not be a shameful or not good enough thing because mm-hmm. you'll be good enough to someone. Mm-hmm. Do you know that way, you know? Like, and I fought long and hard. I want to adopt mm-hmm. one of my kids. Mm-hmm. I've got a baby boy, as you know, but I've um, 
I would love to adopt. Always mm. thought about it growing up to give someone um, who might not be having a, a future ahead at all or a good mm. life. I would love to give them um, mm. something great, you know. Yeah. And it, that's why this podcast is so great because there's so much to it and it, there's there's your side to it as mm. well, which is it makes you really mm. think, you know. But it would also maybe put some people off even adopting as well, mm. wouldn't it? Because well, they're scared a, yeah. that... It's a big deal because adoption child. is for life. It's not just for yeah. that current moment. I know lots of adoptees have dealt with abuse, uh, physical, emotional, even sexual abuse. Of um, course. Uh, violent, yeah, violent and uh, <clears throat> there's not, sometimes there's not much checks. Once you, they only get checked right at the start mm. and then that's you happily ever after. I know in America, the yeah. couples used to adopt kids for the paycheck. That yeah, well, so yeah, so there's it's actually an industry in, in some of the parts of the world where people make money off it. Yeah. Um, so some people steal babies. Um, and, uh, yes, it's, there, is a, there is a dark side to it. Um, Absolutely. So there's pros and cons to everything. Um, yes, there's, it's, uh, it is a really touchy subject. Um but it's just like when when you are adopted, no matter what, you um you will look at other families, and don't know if jealousy is a word or envy. You will just you will feel that feeling. You have that nonsense of belonging. Just that natural. And yeah. no matter how much love you get, and um, it's just you kind of just be, need to educate yourself, yeah. um, because you just feel like a loner. And uh, but for me, um, I made my friends my family. And that can be said for other people who are not adopted. So they've got not a good family background. They can just make uh, use keep their friends as their family. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it's that family is what you make it. Doesn't it? So if I find my birth family, which is highly unlikely, it's not going to be happily ever after for me. But um, I just I, re, for me, I want answers. But um, I want to try. But cause still, no matter what you've been through, you, it's still possible to have a good life. We'll try and live your best life. So you are going to try and find your birth family. Yeah, I have you started? Uh, no, yet. Just because of COVID, with all Morocco's like borderline red list. Okay. What's your um, thoughts? What's your feelings? It must be very. Gone exciting. over with my baby photo. Uh, for my mates said they'll come. I go to the hospital. I know the hospital where I was born. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I'll see if anyone's asked about me. I'll go to the consulate. And uh, to be honest, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just winging it. But um, I feel like now's the right time. Before I've been travelling all over the world, and I've never thought about going to Morocco. I think I did a couple of times, but I've just been party after party after party, and doing. So everyone thought I had this amazing life. You know, going doing all these parties and uh, living in Ibiza, but when the when I was coming off a sesh, all the dark thoughts would come, and I was doing all these extraordinary things, uh, looking for a buzz, and um, yeah, I wasn't really dealing with what was going on in my head. You're running away from something. Yeah. So now, since I told my story, I feel like it's a, every day is like a a new day. Feel f- fresh, page. Feel free. Right. So it's good. It's good, to, it's good to speak out. When I when I told my story, loads of people, um, loads of people uh, opened up to me, 
said it helped him. And yeah, I was getting loads of messages for the first two weeks. And then I was just like, what next? Then, uh, yeah, I didn't know what to do, but I will, I will try and help. People. You go with the flow after that. I have to go you? my own pace. I'm, yeah. I want to change the world, but that's no, uh, it's not possible yet. But. You'll find that path. Mm-hmm. Just same with me when I kind of spoke out in my first podcast. Mm-hmm. You find the path, you find the path. So many people speak out, it makes you feel so mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. less alone, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And then, and then you get a purpose. Big hats off to you for going over to, for you're going to go over to Morocco and your friend's coming with you. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's just, that mm-hmm. is really incredible. So that was the positive for me uh, on in March 2020 when COVID started. Mm-hmm. That's when I stopped. I'd done a year sober off the uh, mm-hmm. drinking drugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I started dealing with my adoption. Um, and yeah, that's when I asked questions that I found out so much about myself. You know, stuff you just don't answer, don't ask, and uh, yeah, it was felt good, and um, having people open up to me as well, and yeah, just uh, if you when I was staying sober for a year, someone would be like, oh, "I'm going to do two weeks," so that's like a little positive that someone's done that. You inspired them to yeah. do it. Mm. I've just started just that ripple, ripple there. Have you? Yeah, just started it last week. Uh-huh. Um, I just get a lot of things I want to achieve this year and I don't, mm-hmm. and with drink mm-hmm. it comes sometimes partying, comes drugs, comes mm-hmm. serious depression and, yeah. and, and so suicidal with, with me I was always uh, a bit of a riot when I was drunk, I was a hyper, everyone, I was mm-hmm. like the party starter, some people thought it was annoying, some people thought yeah. oh he's the man mm-hmm. and then um, I would probably do something stupid when I get too drunk, get in the wake up in the morning and say sorry, but you keep doing that and um when when you hit a wall, which for me I always did, I'd be in my bed and um, I could be, well it got worse and worse, it was a day, a couple of days, and at the start you don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. it, was, it was depression and then mm-hmm. um, towards like, uh, when it got worse, I was in bed for like five days, people were phoning me and you just, you don't have the energy to pick up the phone, yeah. don't answer the door, you don't eat and uh, you just, yeah, you just don't look after yourself. And you just think, what's the point? And uh, that's from uh, too much partying. So it's, I'm always about finding that balance. Like I've had a time in my life partying sometimes, but they have led to me feeling at my lowest. And you always hear it when you hear people going on nights out. You're like, oh, I'm hungover. It takes takes two or three days to get back to normal. And uh, uh, you're just. We're seeing a lot of people when we, you ever go to a gym on a Tuesday uh-huh. or a Monday or a Tuesday uh-huh. and you're seeing people recovering from the sesh. Mm-hmm. Sweating at them. Sniffing away because their nose is clogged up with mm-hmm. the cocaine mm-hmm. and they're just not in a good headspace at all and you mm-hmm. just see it more and more. I was actually at my, my son's football group this morning, one of the dads, man, I don't even know if they'd been off it yet mm-hmm. from last night and I just felt like, oh man, he must be feeling so bad. Mm-hmm. And you know, and this is a society where nine out of ten people on a night out take cocaine and mm-hmm. and when they're partying and stay out for a day or two days or three days and mm-hmm. it's getting that way where it's just everywhere. I have been there. It? Um, for me, I don't think it's possible to completely stop drinking drugs because I was depressed even when I stopped them but uh, they did help me when I needed it uh, to be off them, to have a clear mind space mm-hmm. but um, it is a problem when you're taking it alone, you're lying to people getting into debt 
Yeah. Um, if they're going to do it on nights out, uh, every now and again, so be it. Um, but you just have to just be careful it doesn't become a problem because then I've seen uh, how many lives it's ruined. Yeah. <coughs> so the reason I came out with my story was because over the years, you've got to so many funerals, uh, nine times out of ten it's to do with drugs. And you just think to yourself, could it be me? And um, and you look at people who are still alive and now thinking, uh, you're next if you keep. And it's qu- you, you've noticed people uh, who can go downhill very quickly. <clears throat> when I've done my seasons in Ibiza, I'd, met, I'd leave all my mates and then I'd come back mm-hmm. and you see a handful of them change. And uh, it's good to see when they bounce back, um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's really hard. And uh, you don't want people to go down that road. Um, so, yeah, as I say, it's always about finding that balance. For sure. But yeah, balance and education, I think, yeah. So, you ma- you moved back up to Edinburgh, yeah. to the Inch. No, mm-hmm. it was just, out, just, out, outside, just the outside the Inch from England when you'd found mm-hmm. out. Um, you moved back up, moved into a flat, flat was yourself, mm-hmm. yeah? Council, I. Well, I stayed with a friend, then I got my council flat because I was basically homeless. Flat. One bedroom, two bedroom? Studio. It's bedroom and okay, yeah. bedroom living room together. We, oh, yeah, I like it. Um, so, you're alone, you don't like being alone that much with the own thoughts, you're talking about abandonment mm. issues and stuff oh. like that. How is it, why was it so important to stand on your own two feet and mm-hmm. um, it's just a lot to take in to then come all the way home again and mm. be alone? Well, see, with Edinburgh, you've got, as voted one of the best cities, so... Um, to me, that's home. I love when I was doing all my travellings, coming back to home to Edinburgh. So when I moved to England, I missed Edinburgh all the time. So to me, that's home. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the Scottish accents and, uh, yeah. <clears throat> I, for, for some reason, I love being around lots of people. But at the same time, I did uh, like to be alone. And But when I am alone, that's when you're uh, locked up with all your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I'm an overthinker. So, um, yeah, it's just times where... When I was younger, you've got loads of mates around you. But as I say, as, you, as the years go by, people grow up, you lose you lose a couple of friends. And if you're still doing the, the same stuff you were doing at 18, mm-hmm. you're like... And then you're, uh, you're the oldest at the group, still the granddad, <laughs> doing all the partying. Yep. And uh, you kind of just you have the uh, questions like, what is life? So that's why I got um, into travelling, going on holidays... Um, and just escaping, really. Do you think when you moved back up and you were partying and then going, travelling and stuff like that, and that kind of escaping, as you said, do you think that was you trying to rewrite your script? Rewrite? Well, I was just basically like... That 18 years? Yeah, I was just basically like, that's... I'm out to have fun now. This is... uh, Everything's at the back of their mind. That's not getting dealt with. I'm not dealing with that. And... um, when you were 18, there was loads going on, and uh, I was just, yeah, I was just like, adopted family, pushed them away, everyone who's into, up for a drink, uh, you're, uh, you're my you're mate. welcome. Ah, you're welcome, do, let's do, go. Do you think that that's when it would have been really important to have a support mm-hmm. network or, or some yeah. kind of support group? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I was basically on my, on my own and just never had um, 
any direction or any anyone mentoring me how to what to do and what not to do. I was basically could do what I want. I had to grow up a bit, you know. So no adoption kind of counselling centres or anything. I didn't bother looking, and um, yeah, when I found out eighteen, I wasn't ready to talk. So yeah, as I say, it took me. 12, 13 years to... So maybe if that help was offered even at the time, you might not mm. have took it. If, if I'm quite a proud person. So I don't know if some adoptees, we don't like asking for help. I'll sit and uh, suffer in silence or be too shy. Um, don't want to put anyone out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what my 18-year-old self would have done if the um, help was there. And, uh, yeah, I do wonder that, but... Um, yeah, I was, that's what I understand when people so when I told my story people came up to me and said I couldn't tell mine and I can just say I, I understand when they say that because mm-hmm. you asked me five years ago to tell your story I'd be like what are you talking about and I would say what story <laughs> exactly I would uh, I'd be shy and I'd be ashamed I would I would uh yeah, it's it's just you don't even think about it. You've got that got that wall wall down, and then over the years, I've just started chipping away at that wall. And some people, it gets too much for them. But so we need have we need for the future. We need to try and uh, get something in place. Each person's different. Yeah. Uh, to try and get people open up more and not have not be in a closed book because uh, that does eat you up inside. Aye, for sure, for sure. You're a very brave man. In fact, the mindset we always ask, um, I guess, to talk about some of the lowest moments in life. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about some of your lowest moments, mm-hmm. and 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 then after that, how how you you got by and moved on from them. Mm-hmm. Well, as I said, I used to have the depression moments. We lock yourself away. Um, my one was um, I take antidepressants uh, on and off. When I went in Ibiza, I didn't need them. I was uh, having the time of my life um, when I wasn't <laughs> recovering. Mm-hmm. But I, so it was, it was actually this time last year in September, COVID was on. Um, everyone's head was a bit of a mess. We didn't know like lockdowns and um, yeah, there was you, you had to isolate and um, I was, I was, but I had a family argument, and I was uh, lying in my bed. I was upset, um, and I'd written a suicide note, um, just just over a family argument. I was stubborn. I was just like, so I, I was always thinking about suicide and uh, thoughts of death, and um, but I never, you never have the guts to do it. And one day I just had no hope, and I think it was because I'd came off my antidepressants. You know when. You hear people saying, oh, get off them. They're not good for you. And some people, they're not good. Some people, they are good. Each person's mm-hmm. different. So I, I, I was just like, right, I'm, I'm strong enough. And then when I came off them, I was uh, I noticed my mood, mood strings change. And, um, yeah, something small just crushed me. And uh, I started, I was upset, crying, uh, wrote a note, taking pill after pill, and I was ready. And... Uh, I wouldn't text anyone. I pushed everyone away, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I was like a cry for help. But I wasn't asking for help, mm-hmm. and um, yes, yeah, so I think something when I was lying in bed, upset, something clicked in me, 
and uh, I was just like, I don't don't want to die anymore. And um, yeah, it's just when you're when you're that low, you it's very very hard to think positive or get yourself back up. But once you do do it, so I, I would lie in my bed, just in this, watch TV, probably not even watching it. That's I would get up just to go to the toilet or anything, and uh, I would uh, I'd be in my head. I'd know I could be doing something being productive and when one day leads to two days to three days it's hard to just uh, snap out of that cycle mm -hmm. and then when you do snap out I'm kicking myself all the time I've lost and then not many people understand and they if you're they're phoning you and you're ignoring them they get offended and uh, yes um, many people feel like that yeah, and that's depression for you <laughs> I, and uh, you just want to it's something clicks in you Mm -hmm. um, whether it's watching a motivational video, um, just going out a walk, music, you just need to find that strength to get up and uh, just crack on. You just and ride it out, ride it out. Weird, something mm -hmm. just maybe something you watched on TV, something some words you heard, mm -hmm. just sparks you out of it, and you want to go change the world again. Depression mm -hmm. is. I, it was nice of you to to get this point across. To you guys watching about coming off your antidepressants, especially coming off cold turkey, um, very dangerous. I done it myself. Came off cital high dose of cital from cold turkey. You get all these brain jolts and all that stuff like the weekend of things mm -hmm. and that, and you you deal with all that stuff. But you also get extra sensitive. You will cry at movies. At anything mm -hmm. will set you off, and then you can be a, in a very mixed up place. So really be careful. The doctors are there for a reason and they tell you not to come off of them and don't listen to anyone, as you said there. Mm -hmm. I've had it a few times. I've got off them pills, like Tom, Jack and Harry will say, get off them pills. You don't even know anything about mm -hmm. antidepressants. You just, oh, rubbish, good for you. Don't put them in your system. I'm like, they saved my life. I know. Well, I, I, mean? I have came off them before and, they've, and I've been yeah. okay. Um, it's been a mask, but it's, it just takes that one time where you're not okay. And then, exactly. then what? You have um, to come off them. Each, right, per, each person, each person's different. You, t you taper sure. off them. I do plan to come off them. Um, I'll try, and then I'll, but I'll always be open minded that if things get that bad, I will jump back on them. For me, my attitude is: well, lockdown's on. We're all we're all over the place. Mm -hmm. eh, not lockdown, sorry, eh, COVID. Mm -hmm. eh, we're all over the place. But um, if things are getting better, um, hopefully, light at the end of the tunnel, and then get back to. Get back to just living, living a good life. We'll tr trying. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, do you worry that? First of all, do you worry about young men and women who are basically living for the weekend? So they're doing their, they're obviously their their Sunday to Thursday is being depressed, suicidal, mm -hmm. having the fear, anxiety, heightened anxiety because they've been on the cocaine and the drink or the drugs or whatever, mm -hmm. Friday, Saturday or even into Sunday or even into Monday and they're living this life. So first of all, someone who's not enjoying life, mm -hmm. you know, and are really struggling through that Monday to Thursday and then on a Friday, <coughs> pardon me, it's time to escape the world. Mm -hmm. It's time to escape reality. And, it, you know, it leads to one day escaping it. So you go out on the Friday and mm -hmm. then you're sober on the Saturday, sober on the Sunday, back to work. Mm -hmm. 
then it leads to going out on the Friday and thinking, okay, I don't want this feeling to end. Mm-hmm. So you're out, or you stay up drinking and taking drugs, cocaine to stay up, and you have the Saturday now, and now mm-hmm. you're out for 48 hours. And then sometimes, and for the many, many people our age and, and, and younger, it'll be the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm-hmm. They'll be on it. Three mm-hmm. days of not eating much, mm-hmm. taking cocaine, drinking. Mm-hmm. I've watched people do it with the mm-hmm. Riverside Festival this weekend. Aye. I've literally watched them mm-hmm. no sleep, drink drugs mm-hmm. all the way through. Mm-hmm. You know, what would you say? Because you've led that life, of course, mm-hmm. and over and over before. What would you say to these people? Like, like what? what? I, I remember talking to Fergus Crawley and he was talking about recovery. Mm-hmm. We're talking about there's no one key ingredient. Mm-hmm. It's whatever you can find that helps you keep mm-hmm. trying loads of different stuff, yeah. similar to the list you Aye. you went through on your video. Mm-hmm. So how do we get these people to 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 help themselves or to realise or to everyone on social media is negative. Mm-hmm. Everywhere's negative. It's all Nicola Sturgeon says this, this guy says mm-hmm. that, this guy's died, this person's died, this person's um, been racist to this guy, this person stabbed this guy. We go on social media, it's just all done and gloom. The dark mm-hmm. night's set in. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? All the COVID worries are there, everything else. How do we get these people off the drinking drugs to mm-hmm. realise and and back on to, back on to maybe um, living for themselves again, mm-hmm. living for who they are and living their I real life. Living for the of, weekend. Yeah, instead of Aye. living for that false reality mm-hmm. to get away from mm-hmm. that existence they've created yeah. or that's been created for them. Mm-hmm. So each person will know themselves if things are getting a bit too much for them. If they can um, doing the party lifestyle is good, but if it, it will catch up on you, and um, some people they can't they can't handle it, and then they don't really. What what is their alternative? They don't know. What what they want what what uh, stuff they can do to get better. So there's mm-hmm. a, there's loads of stuff that I tried. I was just winging it, trying different things all the time. Tried a um, oil called CBD. Mm-hmm. First of all, I stopped drinking drugs. I was just like even just trying that for two weeks, a month, whatever, uh, whatever she had done a year. And um, yeah, you could do um, there's a thing called Reiki, um, and meditation, Reiki, yeah. uh, yoga. Um, as I said before, that CBD, that CBD really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but all, all this stuff um, it can, might work for some... When I used to get, uh, sell the CBD, it, it wouldn't work for everyone. And uh, you have to give it a chance. Yeah. And there's uh, stuff like add on support groups. Um, so each person has to go into their... Find out what their problem is. And I guarantee there'll be a support group. I guarantee there's someone who's uh, dealing with a similar problem. And when you've found someone who's had a similar problem with you... You can, it, it makes you feel a bit better because yeah. you don't feel alone anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's all about your support groups as well. Like, who have you got around you? Uh, you got friends checking up on you. Um, you got these relationships, uh, parents, um, just so you don't feel isolated. And uh, exercise is the main one. Um, I've done volunteering as well. I've done that for the first time. That was. Uh, very rewarding. Nothing better than giving, Aye. is there? And what what uh, helps me is writing things down, mm-hmm. goals. Um, I've told it forty two percent likely to happen if you write it down. So it's constantly staring you in the face, and um, even just like if you've uh, had an argument with someone or uh, a relative you've not spoke to in a long time, or someone who's not in your life, if you write a letter to them, like as a, your kids you can't see, you write a letter to them. Don't even need to show it to anyone. Keep it to yourself, or um, and then have it. And then one day, if you ever come across that person, 
you can say this is what I was feeling at that moment. And it's like you're taking your pain, putting it onto that uh, that letter of yep, so that's, that's that's healing for me anyway. When I was writing my story, I was just like, get it all out, saying too much. <laughs> and I was just like, Am I doing the right thing? But I was just like, put it all out there and uh it's like a weight off your shoulders. It's a great technique. What if someone's watching the now that um has been adopted or mm-hmm. just recently found out they've mm-hmm. been adopted? What words of advice would you have for mm-hmm. them? Just say you're not alone. When I found out I was adopted, uh, when I went to one get help, I was uh terrified. I think I tried to get counselling uh, like the year before and uh, I just walked out, wasn't ready. Um, and then when I went to my first, I've, I, I, I spoke to the doctor and that was in May 2020. And um, I went to, I was all over the place. I went to five counselling sessions um, and then I went to <coughs> my first Zoom where I met uh, lots of adoptees and because it was COVID, you couldn't do face to face. So I was bottling up, mm-hmm. I had a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in about six or seven groups, uh, reading books about it, watching videos, podcasts, and um, yeah, there's there's uh, counsellors you can go to. Um, yeah, there's there's a, a, quite a lot of resources, articles, and stuff like that. But you need to. I'm all about networking, yeah. connecting people. Like um, adoption is very complex. Like some people have a great great adoption. Some people. They don't. They don't. Uh, their reunion's been terrible. Mm-hmm. They've fallen out with everyone. Um, some people, their friends with one person hate the other, and it's a, uh, it's a bit, it's very complex. And someone's like different countries, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's quite complex. But um, adopting people, we kind of get each other, and uh, the support groups have been really helpful for me. Yeah, support groups are a huge Facebook support groups, any mm-hmm. support groups, um, Telegram support groups. This is a big thing now. Yeah. Um, I was on. A, I'm on a few mental health awareness ones, mm-hmm. and and they're really good. They're mm. really good. A Don't lot get me of wrong. people are getting into yeah. it now. When I went there one time, I went to a support group, and I was, I was, it was once a month, and I go to now two or three a week, but once a month, and I was waiting for that date, and sometimes um, I went to a support group, it didn't help. And I was frustrated, and was uh, yeah, I was just like, I want, I wanted more, but there was times where I went and it did help. So it's uh, <coughs> don't, uh, it's not the be all and end all. You just keep persevering, yeah, keep trying. Don't give up, yeah. Mm, because uh, support groups might not be for you. You might be some people be like one to one, because they're a bit shy. Like I was just, I'm not speaking in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, once you share your problem with people. You got, you got all these other people who are chucking out their ideas, and you're like, "Oh, I didn't think of that." Mm-hmm. More, mm-hmm. <laughs> more uh, heads together can uh, solve the problem, and Absolutely. it's even just a place to vent. Some people uh, see what can make me happy is if someone's came up with a problem and you've you've helped them. So even it's not even about you; it's about supporting mm-hmm. them as well. So mm-hmm. sometimes. You're not, if you can't even make yourself happy, at least you can try and make someone else. Yeah. And uh, one day, like you might actually just that problem you've got just passes, and uh, it's all a bit positive thinking. But it's really hard when you're not in that mindset. 
Yeah. Something to, something does click in you, but it's uh, it's in your own mind. You, each person's problem shared is a problem uh, halved. Eh? Mm-hmm. So what's before we finish up? What's next for Ryan Anderson? What's mm-hmm. next for Pesci? Uh, gonna go to Morocco. Fingers crossed, could be a prince over there. Yeah, you never know. Could be. Thinking positive thinking. I'm saying that. Think about me uh, when you're laying your friends. Aye, I'll be uh, walking under the red carpet and that. <laughs> uh, I will just be. I'll be. I've dreamed it. You know, just jumping off the plane, finding it where you grew up, even looking at um, someone who might look like me. And um, but even if I don't find my family. Um, I won't get disheartened. I've got good friends. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, good, a good adopted family, mm-hmm. supportive, and Morocco was where I was born. So it's kind of important to mm-hmm. uh, get, uh, find your roots. Route, and yeah. since I've done my video with a great reaction, um, I was uh, I do feel like I want to help people with mental health, and um, I'm just winging it. But uh, I'm sure. I'll do my best to help. And Maybe set up an adoption support group. Charity I, I'm in. I'm in the process of doing that. I've got a few family issues at the moment, uh, but getting through that and uh, I just staying positive. And to be honest, it's going at my own pace. I'm in a way. I want to be a hundred mile an hour. I want to set up, get everything set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's like a mental something to do with mental health. It's obviously important to do it in your local area. Mm-hmm. But if uh, let, let people. Uh, be aware what services are out there because yeah. you so when I went to the doctor sometimes I was in COVID I phoned them up and I was like yeah this is my story they passed me on to someone else they passed me on to someone else they passed me on to someone else and um, because I was in a good mindset I was ready to I could have just been like oh tell with that but I, mm-hmm. I stuck at it mm-hmm. and um, yeah you want to you want to just try and create the awareness so people can get help easier yeah counselling sure. sometimes you need to be um, there is certain places you can go um, you get it quicker um, and it's mm-hmm. quite expensive sometimes mm-hmm. and they get some free services um, not many people know about them and mm-hmm. um, so, so if you want to get out on the NHS you need to wait six months sometimes some. you're just not ready for that exactly you know? mm-hmm. it's been a pleasure having you Aye. I know this is your first podcast uh, the first and best. Got a bit of a stutter, so um, I'm worried about that. Oh, no, you were brilliant, mate. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure. I think your story is inspirational, mm-hmm. motivational. It's going to move a lot of people. I hope it hope will so. bring people the energy and the, the the courage to maybe speak out yourself or maybe come to more of an acceptance of of who you are, where we're from, um, and, and maybe, yeah, some people might be... Adopted and might not have told mm. anyone yet, and they might come um, out now, and it mm. might make them feel free. You know, yeah. it might make them feel more free. Um, I'll put some links below to some articles of of Ryan, stuff that's helped him. Um, I also put Ryan's Instagram and stuff like that on. So if you want to go and contact him, have a word with him. If you wanted um, get him to speak at any school events or anything like that, just click on the description. You can also I'll put that on my Instagram story too. I want to thank you guys for listening. First of all, I want to thank you for the subscriptions. Um, we're at two and a half thousand subscribers now. We just had half a million views on TikTok on the <laughs> last podcast episode with Paul Pettigrew, which is incredible. Thousands of emails about what we're doing. It's just fantastic. I want to thank my producer, um, Paul Shields, Rebel City Paul. 
um, thank sponsor Merchant City um, Medical Group, and I think your f- good friend from Diced is going to sponsor this episode too. Is he? Um, yep, yep, he contacted me <laughs> already. Um, sponsor opportunities available, guys. Just get in touch. I hope you're enjoying the content. We're working very hard to bring you some informative, educational, and heartwarming podcasts that are full of hope in the future and in the near future. But Pesci, Ryan mm-hmm. Anderson, My thanks man. for coming on. Yes, thank you. Thanks, guys. <sighs>